Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I am pleased to introduce today's speaker. 16 months ago, she was sworn in as our province's 25th Premier, the first female in the role. Premier Kathleen Wynne hit the ground running, which is not unexpected considering that that's something she likes to do in her spare time. Since assuming the role, she has been singularly focused on building a better province through community investments, creating a dynamic business environment, and job creation. Her time in the Premiership has had its share of twists and turns, the current provincial election among them. However, Premier Wynne brings to the political race more than 11 years of experience. Some of that experience has been in key ministerial roles. She was first elected to the Ontario Legislature in 2003 as the MPP for Don Valley West. She has served as Ontario's Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, Minister of Transportation, and Minister of Education. All this before becoming leader of the Ontario Liberal Party in January of 2013. Even before provincial politics, Premier Wynne led a life of public service. She was elected as a public school trustee in 2000 and was a community organizer and activist before then. She advocated for key issues such as better public education and full day kindergarten. She, she attributes her results-oriented, can-do approach to her early days as an organizer and facilitator. Before I relinquish the podium, I want to let our live audience know that you can join the conversation via Twitter, where you can follow us at CDNCLUBTO or by using that hashtag. Now, Premier Wynne, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is yours. Thank you very, very much, Gordon, and it is a, a great pleasure to be here with all of you. Good afternoon. Bonjour. Bonjour, Annie. It's wonderful to be here with you, gathered on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit, and thank you for taking the time to be here. It's wonderful to be back at the Canadian Club of Toronto, and uh, thank you all for, uh, for supporting this wonderful institution, which uh, I was just saying to Gordon, there's a treasure trove of information in all the speeches that have been given here, and uh, there must be at least one PhD thesis in that archive. So we're in the final stages of an election campaign, and I'm going to get to that in a moment, but uh, I just want to begin by expressing my utter heartbreak at what's happened in Moncton. Uh, this is the kind of sadness that we, uh, we feel deeply in our gut, the kind that makes us wish for the ability to turn back time and stop and act that's defined by its senselessness and its human cost. Because it's a job and because these men and women do it every day, we can lose sight of what it means to choose the path of law enforcement. Every day for police officers across Canada, putting on that uniform represents a choice, a choice to serve their community, their province and their country. And every day it means putting many ahead of self and accepting personal risk at the, as the price of keeping people safe and keeping families whole. To wear a police uniform is an extraordinary act of courage and a declaration of service. So today, we don't just think of uh, those who have been lost. We don't just pray for them and for their families. Today, we stand with them in grief, in defiance, and in support, and remember our fallen Mounties with a sorrow that overwhelms and a gratitude that will endure. I just wanted to say that.
When I was here last September, I spoke about being a, a woman in public life and my belief that uh, when you get actively involved in the political process, you can make a critical difference. Well, with one week to go before the election, there's no more important time to talk about making that difference. This election is about a stark choice. I think we can see that more clearly now than ever. Your vote will matter. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It will make a difference. My partner Jane uh, and I, in the very first election campaign that I ran in, in 1994 for school trustee, we didn't have a campaign manager. We did it ourselves. We figured we could figure it out. We lost by 72 votes. So I learned then that you go to that last apartment building, you go down that last long road to the, to the farmhouse, you go to that last event at the community town hall because that vote or that 16 votes or that 10 votes or those eight votes might actually make the difference. So that's, uh, that's the week that we're entering now. Your vote will make a difference. Le 12 juin, nous ne choisissons pas seulement notre prochain premier ou premier ministre. Nous tiendrons un référendum sur l'avenir de l'économie de l'Ontario. On June 12th, we're not just picking a premier. We're actually holding a referendum on the future of Ontario's economy. It's a choice between our plan for jobs and growth and Tim Hudak's cuts. It has become that stark a choice. A choice between our plan to protect the economic recovery and Tim Hudak's plan to fire people and slash health and education and beyond. It's a choice between our plan to keep us moving forward and Tim Hudak's plan to stop us in our tracks. Today I want to talk more about what you'll get from your choice. When you mark your ballot, what is it that you're standing up for? What kind of future will you be helping to build? I'm seeking a mandate from you, from the people of, uh, of Ontario, from across Ontario, in order to move Ontario forward. And I'll tell you something that I believe in my core, and that is that there is only one reason to get involved in politics, and that's to put the public good first. That is to help people. It's to make government a force for good in people's lives. And I'm not talking about an overbearing or uh, an intrusive force, but a positive force. Helping to create jobs so that families can have a better life. Helping kids to get the very best education possible. Helping to protect the public services that we rely on, like healthcare, so that it's there when we need it. And we have a plan to do this. We have a plan to work with business, to allow business and to create more jobs and to, and to strengthen our growth. We have a plan to invest in roads and bridges and in transit to make Ontario an even better place to work and to play and to raise a family. Our plan is realistic, it's practical, and it is fully costed. It adds up. In our plan, one plus one makes two. It does not magically make 16. We got the math right. <laughs> and as Liberals, we believe in taking a balanced approach. We'll invest in those things that will help secure our long-term prosperity and in the services that we need most. That's how we ensure opportunity and security now and in the future. Now, of course, I'm here on the eve of an election. 
So you might ask yourself, well, why should I believe her approach? Why should I believe that her approach will work better than Mr. Hudak's? Because over the last year, it has been working. It is working. Over the last year, our economy strengthened. Ontario created 95,000 new jobs, new well-paying jobs, last year. Tim Hudak wants to fire 100,000 people. He's hell-bent on balancing the budget so fast that he's willing to do it on the backs of Ontarians. Hurting families and stopping the recovery that is taking hold, stopping that recovery in its tracks. Tim Hudak stands for cuts at all costs. Together we have fought very hard, and there are people in this room who have worked very, very hard to work to get us out of that recession. And in order to move past the effects of the recession. And we do not want to go back. But our economic recovery simply cannot withstand a shock like the one that Tim Hudak is proposing. In fact, earlier today, I met with mayors from across Ontario, from a dozen municipalities, from uh, Timmins to Toronto to Vaughan to Owen Sound. Uh, the mayor from Kapuskasing was here. The mayor from Kenora was here. And they were talking about how Tim Hudak's plan for cuts would see a return to downloading to municipalities and the, and the greater increases that they would see in their property taxes. And they were very clear because most of them had been in leadership roles of one sort or another during the, uh, during the years when Mike Harris downloaded costs onto the provincial, onto the property tax bases. And they're very, very anxious about that. And it's clear that Tim Hudak wants to finish what Mike Harris started. I believe, on the contrary, that our recovery needs to be nurtured. So we'll continue to grow Ontario's economy with the three pillars for jobs and growth that are outlined in our plan. The first pillar is talent and skills. Our province is never going to beat the world at low wage, low cost production. We wouldn't want to. That's not the race that we are in. So we have to invest in our best and our most important resource, and that's our people. And that's why we introduced the 30% off Ontario tuition grant, so that more of our young people could have the benefit of a post-secondary education. That's why we're committed to full-day kindergarten. That's not ideological. That is to give kids the best start possible and invest in their future by giving them that, that great start. So this coming September, every four and five-year-old in Ontario will have access to full-day kindergarten because we know that education is the cornerstone of that great career that they will have in the future. And that's why we launched the largest apprenticeship system in Canadian history and the second career program that helps workers retrain for new careers. It's that adult education piece that sometimes drops between the cracks. We know it's necessary. So we don't want to join the race to the bottom. That's not, we don't have our sights set on that. We want to lead the race to the top. The second part of our plan is investing $130 billion in modern infrastructure. So that's building schools and hospitals, building roads and bridges and building transit. And not only will these investments create jobs and spur productivity in the short term, they will make our province an even better place to live and do business. And you only have to talk to some of the municipal leaders 
any of the municipal leaders anywhere in the province to know that the investments in infrastructure that they need must happen if they're going to be able to compete with the other jurisdictions around the world that are looking for those same jobs, that are in conversation with the same companies, and we need them to come here. And building the, the right infrastructure is part of that, that attraction uh, strategy. With improved transit, we get those businesses to come, but also parents can get home faster to their kids at the end of the workday. That's, that's where the productivity piece comes in, and goods will be delivered more quickly and efficiently. The third pillar is that we will support a dynamic business climate in Ontario, and that comprises a number of things. We already have one of the lowest corporate tax rates in North America, but this is a global competition, so we know that we have to go farther. So our $2.5 billion Jobs and Prosperity Fund will allow us to make smart deals to support and attract businesses. You know, when, when Tim Hudak says that he's going to step away from those partnerships, the naivete of that, that somehow we can compete globally with other jurisdictions that are putting incentives on the table, and that we can just say, well, we're not, we're not going to play that we're not going to play in that field, is just ludicrous. And so we recognize that we have to partner with businesses, and we want to do that because we know that we can then attract new businesses and also help those businesses to expand and create the jobs that we know they're capable of. So that's what the Jobs and Prosperity Fund is about. And it's not just about one sector. It's about the auto sector, but it's about the agri-food sector. It's about mining and innovation hubs, because the next billion-dollar Ontario company is going to come out of one of those high-tech centres. We just know it is. I met, a young, uh, I met a young man in Ottawa yesterday who is, he, uh, he's an entrepreneur and he's a Tory, he has voted Tory uh, always, um, and he's not going to this time because he's so disenchanted with the way Tim Hudak is framing innovation and the need for government to partner with innovation. So that's, that's what I mean by smart strategic partnership, building on our strengths. So all of this is about the opportunity and the security of job creation. But as we look at that and we, uh, we look at the work that we need to do to boost the uh, employment, we have to also look at what happens after work. And so underpinning the work that we uh, are going to do to make sure that we create those jobs is to create that security after work. Our economy relies on the confidence and the security of people and the businesses within it. So underpinning our plan is the establishment of an Ontario Retirement Pension Plan. This isn't a plan that's going to be used by everybody. We, we've designed it so that if you've already got a pension at work, you don't need it. And you won't have to save, you won't have to save for it. If you're an employer and you already offer a pension, you're exempt. But for millions of people, for millions of people in Ontario, the Ontario Retirement Pension Plan could provide an annual benefit of up to $25,000 when you compare it with the, uh, with the, when you combine it with the CPP. Because what CPP right now, the maximum that, uh, that you can rely on is about $12,500. And so what we're saying is that's not enough. So combined with the Ontario Retirement Pension Plan, it would be about $25,000. And that's critical because we know that people are not saving enough. They're not able to save enough 
for their retirement. And they're not saving as much as previous generations. There's a $280 billion unused space in RSPs right now. A lot of younger people, people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, are heading for a retirement in which they will suffer a significant decline in their living standard. And that will then, in turn, put a greater burden on our social services and on taxpayers as a result. So we either set this up now or we deal with it after the fact. We've run out of time to wait for leadership from Ottawa on this issue. It does not appear to be coming, and so we're acting, and we want to, we want to be able to implement this plan and act in the best interests of Ontarians to help them to, to secure a better retirement. So, the financial crisis and the recession hit us hard here, as they did around the world. But we're on our way back. We are managing prudently and responsibly to get us out of that, uh, to get us out of that downturn and to support the recovery. Even as our population grows, we're holding the line on spending. An annual increase of just 1.4% over the last three years. We're keeping healthcare spending growth at below 3% a year. They said we couldn't do that. It was, there was pretty much consensus that it wouldn't be possible to hold the, uh, the rate of increase in healthcare spending at under 3%, but we have done that. Unlike the Hudak Conservatives, we are not going to lower corporate taxes from their already historic level, or historically low level. We are, however, asking the most prosperous 2% of our population to contribute a little bit more so that we can make the needed investments and stay fiscally responsible. We have put that in our plan. And we're doing all of this while we're ensuring that we have in place the nurses, the firefighters, the water inspectors that we need to keep Ontario safe. So it is with confidence and a track record of strong financial management that I can say, if we are re-elected, we will eliminate Ontario's deficit. But we will not jeopardize our recovery to get there. A balanced budget, in and of itself, will not magically create jobs. We need a comprehensive plan, not a, not a bad math gimmick to get our economy back to full strength. That plan needs to be fiscally responsible, but not fiscally obsessed. The deficit is one of our challenges, but it is not the only challenge. You can tell where Tim Hudak's priorities are. The other night he promised to resign if he didn't balance the budget. But just listen to that promise. He didn't promise to resign if he didn't create a million jobs or even one job. He didn't promise to resign if he had to go back on his word and fire nurses and healthcare workers. And he didn't promise to resign if our students' scores go down, thanks to firing teachers and assistants. Tim Hudak wants to put the deficit first, and that means he's putting jobs last. We can make no mistake about that. The only thing that he will grow is the length of the unemployment line. If you contrast that with our balanced approach to eliminating the deficit over three years, you can see we certainly will not fire 100,000 people just to be able to say that we'll balance the books 365 days earlier. We won't ignore the crying need for investments in transit and infrastructure. Those investments are crucial to the quality of life and to the strength of our communities and to our economy. And with interest rates as low as they are and unemployment too high, there's never been a better time to make them. We won't cut our teachers and educators, sending us back to the Harris days when only 68% of our kids were graduating from high school. Right now, 
83% of our students are graduating from high school. It's a great number. We know that there's more to be done. Going back to 68% is not, it's not feasible. But that is the plan that Tim Hudak is putting forward. And it's the wrong plan for Ontario, especially at this critical time. The stronger economic growth that is forecast is dependent on us making the right decisions. Consumer and business confidence are on the rise. Just last month, the Financial Times reported that in 2013, Ontario was the number one uh, jurisdiction in North America for foreign direct investment. We cannot put this recovery at risk. Now, am I alone in this view? Is this just me talking and my advisors through me? No. Scott Clark was Deputy Minister of Finance when the federal budget was balanced after 30 years of deficits. He's hardly a fiscal shrinking violet. And here's what he has written, and I quote, is the Ontario economy strong enough to absorb such a severe austerity package right now? Economic growth in Ontario has been falling since 2010, and employment growth has also been modest. The unemployment rate at 7.5% remains well above its pre-recession rate. The manufacturing sector is struggling to be competitive. The economic recovery in Ontario remains weak. Severe austerity would lead to a loss in output and jobs." End quote. The recovery needs to be supported, not undermined. I believe that this is what the business community who, who need to create the jobs that we're looking for, that that's what they think as well. And that's why if we are returned to government, we will be going back to work right away. If our Liberal government is re-elected on June 12th, I've pledged to convene the legislature within 20 days and to immediately reintroduce our budget. Regardless of whether the people of Ontario entrust us with a majority or a minority government, we will be ready to govern. We will hit the ground running, as Gordon said. Once again, we will hit the ground running. We'll keep Ontario moving forward. That's actually what leadership is. I'm excited about what the future holds. I'm very optimistic about the future of this province because I believe that the people of Ontario can work together and I believe in what we can all accomplish together. A Liberal government will invest in talent and skills, in transportation and infrastructure, and in a dynamic business climate. All of that underpinned by a new Ontario retirement pension plan. Notre plan est le bon plan pour l'Ontario, pour maintenant et pour les décennies à venir. On va bâtir l'Ontario, pas le démolir. Ours is the right plan for right now and for the decades ahead. We'll build Ontario up, not tear it down. And this much is certain. The decisions made by the next government of this province will make a difference in people's lives. These choices will change Ontario. So I ask for your vote all of yours, so that we can change Ontario for the better. Thank you very, very much. Merci, miigwech. Premier. Before, uh, before we formally thank you on behalf of the club, I would like to call upon Deputy Mayor Norm Kelly to say a few words, please.
Well, thank you uh, very much for that introduction. <clears throat> you know, I was thinking the last time I received a standing ovation, <laughs> everybody was standing anyway. So that was compromised, but Premier Quint, uh, when yours was well-deserved, I'm sure. Well, <clears throat> uh, this is the Kelly interpretation of things politic. There's no question that the 21st century will be an urban century. People all around the world are moving in increasing numbers to cities. And they're doing so because that's where the opportunities are. But in doing that in such large numbers, they create challenges that have to be met uh, if we're going to continue in our environment to enjoy the quality of life that we have right now and to be able to build uh, on it. And that concept of an urbanized century is a fact going forward that all leaders or aspirants to leadership have to grasp. And here are the leadership skills <clears throat> that I think will guide us through the complex, sometimes tough decisions that lie ahead. Now, in a race, there tends to be a focus, at least by the media, on policy. And sometimes it's, I see your policy, and I raise you two more. Well, I'm going to start out with something a bit different. I think that what lies at the core of leadership, before you get to policies, is a personal style. A leader must listen. A leader, before he or she can teach, has to be a student. And in listening, they have to be open to options. You don't rule anything out right up front. You listen very carefully. And you must also, in exercising judgment, have a sense of balance. Essence, what I've described, is the concept of partnership. A leader has to have, going forward, has to have this sense of partnership, that he or she is part of the team. In Ontario, that means being part of, among others, the municipal team. 70 to 80% of the people in this province now are living in an urban environment. And that, that percentage will only get higher. My observations, uh, and I'm pleased at this, has been confirmed by three urban forums that I wouldn't have had the privilege to attend had City Hall not made the brave and unprecedented decision on the transfer of executive authority from the mayor's office to the office of the deputy mayor. That, ladies and gentlemen, in brief, in precy form, is my take on life as it is today and will be moving forward. In short, I think that this city needs a city-friendly leader, and this province needs a city-friendly premier. 
And Kathleen, that leader and that premier is you. On behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto, I'd like to thank you very much for including us on your very busy election events schedule. You know, this is your fifth visit to the club, and each visit has provided inspiration to us, not only because of your positive attitude about the potential of our province and the benefits of public service, but because you really are a role model to many of us. And as you continue the battle to hold on to the premiership, and the distinction of being the province's first female in that role. We want to take this opportunity to wish you well as you race towards the electoral finish line on June 12th. Best wishes. Thank you, Jen. Uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor Kelly and Premier Wren. Thank you once again. We know these are long days for you with many, many stops, and we truly appreciate you making our podium one of those stops, so thank you. Uh, our sincere thanks once again to today's event sponsor, Carpenters District Council of Ontario, for making today's event possible. Now, before we adjourn for lunch, I'd like to just remind you of our last event of the season. On June 11th, the President and CEO of the Asia Pacific Foundation, Yuen Pao Wu, announces the results of their 2014 National Opinion Poll Canadian Views on Asia. To order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. Also, a video podcast of today's event will be available on iTunes in a few days. Simply visit the event listing on our website. And please don't forget to fill out the event survey cards at each of your tables. We at the club are always looking for ways to improve your event experience, and we would truly appreciate your feedback. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please rise as you are able and join me in a toast to Canada. to Canada. Enjoy your lunch. <laughs>